Hello, everyone. We got two great guests today. They are the Midnight Ride, and I want to welcome Paul and Connor. Uh, Paul, uh, you're in Miami, am, am I not right? And Connor, you're in North Carolina. Is that right? Uh, well, uh, close, close. I'm I'm actually normally in Miami, but I'm I'm talking to you right now from the Blue Ridge Mountains in Asheville, North Carolina, a beautiful part of the country with uh, politics that leave a little bit to be desired. Awesome. Yeah. Connor is, uh, I, I am, a, uh, we talked off air about California. I'm a native of Southern California, but I'm actually not too far away from you, Kilroy. I'm, I'm uh, in, in the West. Let's just put it that way. Put All, it, right. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on, guys, and uh, and everyone listening to these guys' podcasts. It, it, it's really uh, refreshing and great information. They're doing their part fighting and trying to wake people up and just let, letting people know. Uh, let me start out, guys. Either one of you can take take this question. We'll just go from, you know, from you know, see what your uh, perspective is. Our Connor freedom. likes to talk a lot, so we'll let him, we'll let him jump in. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Uh, what is your perspective, both of you guys, about our freedoms? I mean, we are losing it. Are we going to totally lose it? Do you think, or do you think some, or do you see some good things happening? Well, I have a lot of faith in our founding document, the Constitution of the United States. But I, you know, I don't know if Americans, you know, we started the Midnight Ride sort of because we believe that our our freedom is under existential threat. We have elected people um, here in North America, Canada, and the United States who don't respect individual liberty. They don't even respect individual property. And uh, so, you know, it is absolutely under threat, Kilroy, I mean, on a daily basis. Um, And, you know, we don't have to look much further than the current debate over the right to bear arms. Um, and we have some very nuanced views on that. But I, I believe that the Constitution of the United States and the American, um, shall we say, DNA um, will win out. But there there is a fight ahead. And, uh, you know, I think it, maybe in November, the American people will send a message back to Washington. Um, but you know, our, our freedoms are under very serious threat. And we have a government and a president and a Congress that um, I think hold the Constitution and our freedoms in contempt. They don't they don't really cherish freedom or liberty. They cherish government. And um, I think there's a there's a, a huge Marxist threat. Um, Paul, Paul would probably expound on that. I, I was actually just going to jump in on that. There's been this ongoing battle in the U.S. ever since our founding about what rights are more important. It's, is our country based on the rights of the individual or is it the rights of the collective? And the Democrats and the Republicans have essentially staked out these two camps. Uh, one, really thinking that that this country that was founded, uh, getting its freedom from the throne in the United Kingdom because the king had so much power and individuals were not allowed to live their life as they chose. And uh, the Democratic Party, I think, in many cases, has decided that the collective and determining what's better for society as a whole uh, is their priority. And the problem when you do that is that 
what's better for society as a whole is not always better for society as a whole. You have an idea that that if you just make this one policy, this one government regulation, it's always going to make everything better. And that never turns out to be the case. There always turn out to be unintended consequences. And it slowly erodes at our liberty. And we've talked a lot about, I think, the Great Society with Lyndon Johnson in the 60s, probably being one of the biggest pieces uh, of legislation that have eroded individual freedom by creating this government entitlement state. And it's continuing. But the fact is, we do have checks and balances in this country. We've got a Supreme Court right now, which uh, takes individual freedom very seriously. And the Congress despite a lot of bloviating and rhetoric, uh, especially coming out from the other night at this January 6th show trial, it's they're really having a hard time getting anything done. And uh, I think the election that's coming up is going to be a big red wave. And I think individual rights will continue to be protected. So I'm, I'm not as pessimistic as everybody else is. I think much of this is noise coming out of the social media world and, and cable networks. But if you look at what the American people feel and believe, especially where I am in rural North Carolina, individual freedoms are alive and well. And, and I think Americans will fight back when that gets tested. If they don't steal it again, right? What about that, guys? What do you think? You, you know they're going to try again. So what, what is your all's biggest fear or, or what is you, what do you, what do you have any positive outlook on that at all? Can I just say, can I just say Kilroy, the word steal is an interesting, is an interesting one, right? Like I personally don't believe there was a huge amount of fraud in the election in 2020. That I, say, I, I didn't well, until a couple of weeks ago. I've seen the yeah, I mean, 2000 yeah, mules that, twice. I know yeah. we have a different view on it, right? I mean, I don't know if it's hard to say, is it fraud or are they or are the rules that were put in place around the pandemic created a situation where it was, you know, easier for people to 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 cheat a little bit without being like this big organized fraud, you know, so it's like you have to look at it differently and or did it just make it so easy for people to vote that so many ballots got returned that it just we don't know what's true and what's not but it's almost impossible to prove organized well, fraud. well here, i just here. have a hard time like necessarily calling it a steal but i will say that it's suspect and connor you you know you saw the movie that dinesh d'souza did which yeah seems really compelling and i'd love to hear your what you know what you think well we're all sports fans right and mm -hmm. and the, one of the reasons that the media loves elections is because it's like covering a horse race or a football game. There's, there's a score and it's, it's easy, you know, people track it. It's dramatic. And, you know, the democratic party is sort of like the Oakland Raiders of politics. I mean, if, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. And, um, you know, both parties try to do what they can to set the conditions for victory. Uh, you know, the people on the political left would say that Republicans try to limit the number of people that that can vote. And, you know, that shouldn't be done illegally. But I don't our founding fathers certainly did not think that all 330 Americans, 330 million Americans should be voting. Um, they've they've had a different vision of maybe who should be voting. And I think the Republicans have that vision. 
the Democratic Party not only believes that everyone should vote. I mean, recently they proposed lowering the voting age to 16, but they will they will try. I mean, I think we have seen they will try to get people people's votes, whether or not it's actually that person voting or not, whether it's going to nursing homes and taking people who can't even, you know, write their own name and just taking their ballot. Um, the movie 2000 Mules, I don't know if it proves anything, but what it proves to me is that we need to purge the voter rolls in every state and every county of people who are dead or who no longer live in that state or county. And, it, you know, if you don't do that and you have these, you know, pandemic, you know, voting provisions in place like drop boxes and, and rampant uh, absentee voting, well, then you are going to see a lot of fraud. I, I do think that there was fraud. Was it enough to swing the election in favor of President Biden? I don't know, but I know that we have a problem with our election integrity. In the last two elections, in 2016, the Democrats thought the election was stolen. In 2020, the Republicans thought that the election was stolen. That's not good for America. That's a, that's a powder keg ready to explode. So I think we need to fix our elections, one person, one vote, and get rid of these you know, drop boxes and ballot harvesting and all these things that, quite frankly, could lead to violence. The other question I have is why in places like uh, Philadelphia or Atlanta and Fulton County, uh, can Maricopa they not- County. Maricopa, why can't they count these votes? Why does it take days yeah. to count these ballots? And then they stop and nobody can see them. Where where I vote in Florida, you go to vote, you show your ID, they put your ID into a little scanner, your picture comes up that is that on a screen, which is um, coordinated with your voter file, so they can prove that it's you. You sign a document attesting that it's you, it matches the signature on your driver's license, and you're given your ballot. And they had the entire election and all the votes counted in about four hours for the third largest state in the country. And what I'm trying to determine is why won't they and why can't they do that in Atlanta, in Philadelphia, in Detroit, in Milwaukee? Why does it turn into this whole process that is shrouded in secrecy? And I don't well, I don't get it. And no one steal is, it. we don't hear people talk about that. Well, they're, 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 trying might, to, they might. they're trying to steal it, I guess, right? They're, that's why they're, they want to steal it. Well, they might be. They might be leaving themselves a little bit of, you know, a fudge factor there. Remember, you know, and we, we've talked about this on the Midnight Ride. What was the first thing that President Biden and Senator Schumer and, and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi tried to do, you know, right after the Congress was sworn in and right after President Biden's inauguration? H.R. 1, House Resolution 1, yeah. the federalization of our elections, taking away the state's ability to pass election laws, because they knew in the wake of that election, in an election in which Republicans gained in the House during a presidential election year. Um, and if it wasn't for the. Frankly, shameful actions of our former president, Donald Trump. And, and how he tried to get involved in the in the uh, Senate elections in Georgia after his defeat. Uh, I think if he stays out of Georgia, the Republicans probably keep one 
they, the Republicans would probably be in control of the Senate. The Democrats knew after that election that there were going to be election integrity laws passed. And we've seen that in Georgia. We've seen that in Texas, Tennessee, other places. Um, and those election laws are going to restore one person, one vote a lot more and reduce their chances of fraud. And so the federalizing of elections could have pushed America toward one party rule, could have pushed, pushed us towards a, a situation like Mexico or, or even Venezuela. You know, we, there's a lot of things that this current government is trying to do that could throw America into third world status. And if you think I'm exaggerating, let's just look at the events of the past week where a Supreme Court justice was possibly nearly assassinated. Somebody was armed on his street, had come all the way from California to Virginia. He told police, I wanted to kill Brett Kavanaugh. And after, uh, you know, the, the opinion of, Ro of the uh, Dobbs versus Jackson, Jackson Healthcare, uh, or the, the Mississippi abortion case, which would potentially overturn Roe versus Wade, you had the Senate Majority Leader standing there on the steps of the Capitol saying that, you know, naming justices, saying you don't know what's going to happen, we're going to come down on you. I mean... They should be held accountable for that. They, they should be held accountable for that. But, you know, our norms, the, what made America great, what makes America great is our election system, the checks and balances that the Supreme Court provide, all of these things the Democratic Party is trying to tear down. They're not this last year and a half. They haven't been doing a very good job of governing the, the, the their energies have been directed towards keeping power. And that is a threat to the republic. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. My, my thing is this whole election thing. I have a pro I have a problem uh, with this. You have a guy who has no idea what he is. I call him diaper boy in the, in the White House. OK, um, he was in the basement uh, and, the, and he got all those votes. He never really campaigned. And you saw Trump uh, have all these people show up and Biden was only a few hundred people. To me, that's a big red flag. How could someone win that? That's why I think it's a steal. I think, well, I, you know, I think that, uh, well, first of all, when he was, his version of campaigning is, you know, where are we going for ice cream? I think that's literally yeah. all his campaign staff told him was like, hey, we're going to this ice cream shop. And he's like, all right, hey, let's go there. You know, they got great uh, mocha chip or whatever. So I think, I think, uh, you know, that was his version of, of, of campaigning. But, but I also... You know, I, I do think that President Trump bears a lot of the responsibility. I mean, if you look at the if you look at the way the votes happen, suburban women abandoned President Trump. And and that was because of, I think, his tweets, his comments. I think a lot of the things that he said where we might like it and it might fire us up. I think a lot of the moms out there that I spoke to didn't like it and people were voting uh, more emotionally and less on policy. I mean, if you look at the policy that Trump did, it was one of the best. He had one of the best policy agendas, I think, in this country's history. I mean, he brought peace to the Middle East. His tax reform bill was amazing. Building the wall. I mean, all of it, you name it. Absolutely fantastic. But it when it came restored to, a little bit of strength to our military. Yeah, yeah, restored some strength to our military. But when it came to 
to some of his comments, it turned off a lot of people. And it's interesting. I heard, um, so I heard a, an interview with, uh, uh, with uh, Representative uh, Crenshaw, you know, from Texas. Uh, uh, it was shortly after the election and when he had his, his re-election. And what's interesting is that he received 14% higher vote total than President Trump did in his district. And he's got a, you know, suburban area in Houston, uh, you know, I think is where he's from, I believe. And that was a lot of the polling showed that that was a lot of the issue. So, I mean, you saw that in Texas. So it's not just, you know, thinking it was stolen because Biden is, is uh, uh, you know, in, incompetent or whatever it is. There was so much from the media about how horrible Trump is and playing up all of his comments yeah. that people did vote against him. And that was a tough thing. And, and, you know, what I think going forward that the Republican Party needs is somebody that can be as consistent and passionate about Trump's policies and not be the old, you know, establishment crony capitalist Republican of the past, you know, the Mitch McConnell types. But we need somebody that really takes that flag of that Trump really put together for this party and for this nation, but does it with a lot without a lot of the baggage. And, and of course, we're talking about Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida. Just, just <laughs> yeah, to I was just going to say that. That's what it to, sounds like. Yeah, yeah, that's address, what I'm hoping. You know, just but. to address what you said about the election. Um, you know, the pandemic, Kilroy, broke a lot of people's brains. It really did. A lot of people. Uh, you know, I, I went and visited my brother down in Alabama, and my brother is. A lot of my family have become leftists for whatever reason. But I, I said, hey, where are we going to dinner tonight? I hadn't seen him in a few years. He said, oh, we don't go out anymore. Um, I, I took my daughter yesterday. We went to a, a local library. And um, inside the library, there was one family there, um, a mother and a father and a little girl who was my daughter's age, probably seven years old. And they were all three wearing masks. And, you know, we live in a, a red state in the West that's not very populated. There's no, you know, COVID going around. Uh, if there is, it's no risk to any of these people. They were all under the age of, you know, 40, 45 probably. And, uh, you know, they've just, they've been, that is the leftist MAGA hat is that mask that people are still wearing. Yeah. And um, they don't need to go out to a, a stadium in Oklahoma City like a Trump voter. Um, they, they sit home compliantly and they, they do what, you know, the corporate owned media tells them to do. Um, so even though there wasn't, do I, do I think he would have got 81 million votes? No, I don't. But I do think that a lot of those people voted against Trump or they voted because they, they had been in, been manipulated by big tech or, uh, the corporate owned you know, oligarch owned media to think a certain way. And so, you know, again, I, I saw 2000 mules twice. It was an excellent movie. I encourage everyone to see it. Yeah. I've seen it. Um, it's good. Yeah. You know, whether or not that's evidence that they stole the election, it does tell me we have, it's evidence that we need to fix our elections. And, um, all of those suburban housewives that Paul was talking about. Um, yeah. A lot of them voted, not for Biden, but against Trump. But I guarantee you, they
they have buyer's remorse. And it's like that scene oh, in the yeah. movie, in the yeah. movie Hoosiers, you know, I say we vote again. Uh, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people wish they could do that right now. Yeah. They, no, yeah. Kilroy there, there, the other thing, there's nothing more powerful in politics and, and then fear. If you can mm-hmm. scare people enough, you can get them to do anything. Mm-hmm. And somehow the left has been able to use fear to almost get voters to blindly follow them in whatever they want, whether it's the world coming to an end with climate change, whether it's COVID going, it's always something, always everybody. Yeah. Whether it's, you know, on the rate, the systemic racism and, and critical race theory, like you're, you know, being scared of white people because they're in, they're the oppressors and they're racist and we're the only the Democrats are the only ones that are going to protect you. Uh, re- Republicans want to throw, you know, old ladies off a cliff off the train and let people die in the streets. So you got to ha- you got to vote Democrat. I mean, whatever it is, they use fear. And that that is and, and as Franklin Delano Roosevelt said, the only thing we have to fear is is fear itself coming from a progressive. But he was right. Mm-hmm. And the American people need to wake up and realize that there's no reason to be scared. We a got, lot of the- we, have good, we have good lives. You can live the life the way you want it. Don't look at what's happening around you on a day-to-day basis when you live your life. Don't let some politician scare you into doing yeah. their bidding. That's it's a we, it's a terrible. We have thing. the power. We have the yeah, power. We have the power. And and Kilroy, you know, you're a very religious person, and I think that that one of the biggest issues is the decline of religion in this country. I think that, no doubt. that especially on the Democratic Party, if you don't believe in religion, you have to believe in something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the left has sort of taken a lot of folks that are not religious anymore and created people like Anthony Fauci and others that almost turn into these false gods and they just listen to anything they say. Mm-hmm. And we've, you know, we've got to bring religion back to this country so that people can yeah. just live we a good definitely. life and live live and walk in in the way that jesus christ meant for them and that's Amen. i think that's going to help bring the country back so that's a yeah. movement that yeah we, we turned it we turned our we all know we turned our, our back on god we, it started with taking prayer out of schools and went from there can i say something uh the left has created their own religions um i just recently read a a great book by John McWhorter about uh, critical race theory and, and um, anti-racism, which I call neo-racism. And uh, McWhorter um, talks about um, a group of people that he calls the elect. These are, by the way, McWhorter happens to be a black American, um, but he talks about these white leftists um, who are pushing this um, new religion um, of anti-racism. And, and basically he says that to argue with these people on the political left, it would be like telling us that Jesus didn't rise from the dead, you know, that their anti-racist, uh, views are heretical. I mean, it would be similar to telling us that Jesus didn't really rise. We can't argue with them at that level because they're, they're just going to just, dismiss us because they have an evangelical furor that they follow, you know? And, and so, um, you know, 
some of the things that these folks believe, they hold these views as dearly as we do our own religious views. And we have to look at it like that. We're trying to wake people up to a lot of things. Radical gender theory, racist, uh, you know, critical race theory and, and other things um, and, and wake them up before it's too late because they have their own religion, you know, and, and it is yeah. spreading. That's true. The religion is uh, the religion is narcissism, narcissism. Yep. I mean, it's 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 me, 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 me. And it's, yep. you yep. know, it's and we do talk about individual rights and freedom. So I don't want to mix up the two. But being able to sort of have your rights under the Bill of Rights is one thing. But then going so far to be completely narcissistic that you think you deserve handouts from the government, that you deserve to end a pregnancy and kill an unborn child. I mean, that ends up just going too far because it starts impacting everybody else. And that narcissism really goes to the point of, of, of hurting everybody else around you. And that's, that, that is where it has gone way too far. Nowhere, nowhere does it manifest itself more, I think, than uh, what we're seeing right now with these, you know, uh, these lost children who have been raised uh, you know, and, and we talk all the time about our fatherlessness crisis on the midnight ride, but they've been raised, you know, by a device, you know, they've been raised by their iPhone or their tablet. They're on TikTok all the time. Um, another great book, uh, Irreversible Damage by Abigail Shire, the transgender craze that is seducing our daughters. All of these young folks who, uh, you know, over 20% now, of this youngest generation identify as gay or transgender LGBT over 20%, one in five, maybe that's a phase or whatever, but on our college campuses, you know, somebody who's been raised by uh, Connor Coughlin or Kilroy Williams, Paul Runyon, they have values. They see things uh, maybe in a more traditional way. So they're in a college class and they, they're trying to make a point about one thing and the other. And they say, well, I disagree with what he just said. You mean, you mean they, right? My pronouns are they, them. Mm-hmm. You just, you just misgendered me, you, you know, and we are now seeing lawsuits. We are seeing administrative action taking it, taken at schools. You lose your first amendment rights. Uh, in some case, I mean, first amendment rights are under threat because of these crazy notions that people can change their gender. I mean, people can change their gender or their pronouns or whatever on a daily basis. And we used to be in this country, hey, just let me live my life. But now it's stand for the pride flag. Call me by my, call me by, don't call me, don't dead name me. Call me by my new name. My new name is Blaze and call me by my pronouns. I mean, this kind of insanity is spreading at a rac- rapid pace. One in five of our kids is now now believes this in America. Yeah. And these are kids that are lost. I mean, they're just, you know, I feel so bad for them because yep. in many cases, these, these are kids that, you know, maybe come from abusive backgrounds, maybe you were bullied. They don't feel like they fit in anywhere. And they go and they see this kind of transgender community and they're like, hey, I you know, I can do that. And then I'm sort of protected. No one can bully me because, because they're going to then get in trouble and, and I'm going to be welcomed into the group with open arms. And, 
you know, make no mistake, this is not some scientific thing that, that, you know, you just change your gender. There's no science behind that. This is a, it's a mental health crisis is what it is. And we need parents that are going to raise their children with real values so that, you know, they feel confident in themselves and who they are. That's going to fix the problem. But Paul, you you use the word victim, right? And, and, you know, we've all been, I mean, I'm almost 50 years old. We're all kind of middle-aged Americans. We, we have seen this evolve in our country where victimhood is now a desired thing. It, it is a coveted thing. Um, we have a, a, a narcissistic society where victimhood has cachet and there is status in victimhood. Um, all three of the people on this podcast right now are white males, and we're at the bottom of that pyramid. All of the pyramid is weighing down on our shoulder. We get nothing. Um, and, and, and because we're Christians, we get nothing. Um, but above us uh, are women, right? Um, and then it, it goes on down the line. Uh, different religions. Um, I would say Judaism is also at the bottom, right? Christianity and Judaism, they get nothing. But Muslims, they're a little bit higher on the platform. Um, you have your ethnic groups, you know, Hispanic Americans, Asian Americans are just above us. Then you've got Hispanics, Blacks, but LGBT is at the top. And at the top of that, at the very top, is the transgender, right? Those are the folks who enjoy the highest victimhood status. And we have taught, or the left has taught, these folks to use this to their advantage, right? And and it, people just are looking for ways to, to say that they're a victim because they know in our society right now they can get something out of it. And it's, it's, it's really wrong to teach kids this because, as we all know, the real world is harsh, you know, and so we should be trying to toughen up our kids and prepare them for life, not tell them to seek out victimhood. In, my opinion, in my opinion, this is just part of a greater Marxist ideology that is just being put upon everybody. I mean, it, if you look at what happened in the early days of the, the formation of the Soviet Union and the revolution, people were just, you know, the communists were dividing people up by groups, turning people against each other. And the more you can divide people up, the easier it is to control like that little group, right? Because you're never going to have everybody get together. So you're never going to have the uh, LGBT group get together with the, you know, black entrepreneur straight group or whatever you want to call it. And so you keep dividing everybody up and, you know, make them care about only their own social issues. Then you're going to be able to do what you want on the broader level. And that's really how this communism Marxist thing comes about. Isn't that, isn't that what it's all about? Dividing that that's what they want to do. Divide and conquer. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just, it's the playbook. And with the kids, it's just abuse, man. It's so sad. It's so sad. They're so innocent and they're going through all this, you know, I mean, they made them wear a mask and all that stuff. And it's, and, and if you, you guys noticed, they did it all so quickly. It went from that to the, you know, the race theory to the gender, all that stuff, just, you know, real, real fast. They're just shoving that down their kids' throats. They did. They did. Killer. We homeschooled uh, our kids the last two years right. because uh, we wanted to keep them out of that. And I just, I, you know, fortunately in Florida, um, some bills have recently been passed that really give parents choice in our education. So 
So there's no teachers are banned from talking about critical race theory in Florida now, um, thanks to Governor DeSantis and the legislature. There are also there's not up until third grade. They can't really have any talk about sex ed or sexual orientation or anything because they you know, the state doesn't want teachers giving their own opinions to to these children and they think it's for parents to do. And of course, as we all know, that was twisted into this calling it the don't say gay bill, which is completely made up and false. But, but you see there, you see there, they, how apoplectic they got over that legislation. And we, we have seen too, um, the great feed libs of TikTok on Twitter and Instagram that has exposed how prevalent this grooming of children is. I mean, children are now we have a generation of school teachers who believe that it is their duty to inculcate these children with the idea of you know racialization you know that that white people are oppressors and and everybody else are victims and also the idea that they can change their gender and they're trying to hide that from parents you know the the Florida Parental Rights and Education Act and the pending uh, potential overturn of Roe versus Wade has really exposed the left. I mean, they a lot of these folks don't have children. And that's part of the narcissist you know, thing is that they live their lives for themselves. They might have a cat or 20 cats or a dog or whatever. But they they you know, the children are an inconvenience. There are a way to take away from them living their best life. And even the ones that do have kids to them, it's almost like a, a Gucci handbag or something. You know, um, my kid is, is, has declared herself non-binary, um, you know, and so it's sort of like a way for them to, to, you know, have social cachet or whatever, but never in the, in their mind, do they look at it as this is an innocent human being, um, one of God's children with so much potential and, and we should uh, try to raise them with values. No, it's they are a political animal, and they're tr they're trying to teach a four year. You know, they say, well, uh, you know, an eighteen year old shouldn't uh, have a an, an assault rifle, but a four year old can can determine that they are now permanently a boy. You know, th th it's just a warped thing, and it's it, they use them as political beings i don't i don't know about you do you have kids kilroy i have a 29 year old okay i mean at what point if ever did you talk with your child about politics uh when he got older i did a little bit but you know it wasn't you know an ongoing thing if he had questions and that kind of thing so yeah i, I didn't start talking politics with my older kids i have two now that are out of high school till they were about 17 and I also kind of didn't want to influence. I kind of discussed the facts and let them form their own opinions. Yep. Um, but, you know, I, I have a seven-year-old. I would never talk yep. politics or anything like that with them. Exactly. Not the case with the political left. Okay, guys, I have to admit I'm completely different than the two of you. <laughs> my, I've been talking politics with my kids since they were, uh, <laughs> two, you know, two, I think. I had my kid, remember when, when – when, uh, when Trump was president and Schumer was threatening to shut down the government and he was calling it the Schumer and Trump was calling it the Schumer shutdown. I had my kid, I had my kid on video saying like Schumer shut down, Schumer shut down. So, <laughs> so I got, you know, I look, 
but I think the differences that we're talking about here and my kids are big, big, uh, they don't like Joe Biden at all. Um, you know, which, which, you know, I'm happy about, but, and sometimes they watch uh, Fox news with me and everything, but, but look, we're parents. We can choose how we want to raise our kids. If I like to expose right. my kids to right. politics, that's my choice as a father. You know, it's, it's what I don't like is teachers and other people, you yep. know, especially in a public school, the government to essentially telling my kids how to think. Yeah. Brainwashing. That's our yep. right. We have that choice. We, we, that's we right. Can watch it. You know, we can raise our children however we want. That's right. That's right. But they want to take that away, don't they? <laughs> we want to take it all they away. They do. And I'm going to see, and you know, next year, my kids are going back to public school after these bills were passed in Florida. So it's going to be our, our test, you know, our real world test to see what happens. Are, is the school yeah. sticking to it or are they not? But these, yeah. these, yeah. we call them public schools. What we should really call them is government schools. Government schools. They, that's right. Yeah, our they, government school. That's what I, I do. I don't, you know, yep. we, we don't, we don't Gov send our kids to government, government schools. If I had the time and the means to homeschool my kids like Paul has done, I, I would have already done that. I don't trust the government schools, even in a place like Florida or Texas or Tennessee. Uh, you know, you're you're going to have outliers. You're going to have people that grew up there that went to some, you know, public university and got, you know, assimilated by Borg, as it were. And they're going to come back and try to, you know, they view Sneak them as in. their kids. They're not Sneak your kids. Yep. Yeah, yep. they're not your kids. They're their kids. And we've seen so much evidence of this on social media uh, of late. I, I wish, you know, that we could really as a response to what we saw in the pandemic when people came home and were being educated on laptops and what we've seen in the last year with this gender theory, I wish we could just completely destroy the public school system and start over. Yep. And, and well, the way to do that is with a really good school choice program. I mean, if you really need to, you really need to uh, make sure that parents have the right to send their child where they want. And if they're paying high property taxes and they're getting, they're giving money to the state to essentially pay for education, you know, they should have that choice. Are they going to send it, send their kid to a state funded school or is that, can that tax dollars that they're paying go towards sending a child to a faith-based school or a private school or anything else? So, you know, just because people say, well, they shouldn't get money from the government, that's people are paying that the government that money yeah. to for that education. That's it's our money. Yeah. It is. It's our money. So right. we should be able to use it to educate our kids how we want, not be forced to pay it on our property and then to get indoctrinated in government school. A lot of states are doing that, but it's the left wing states that are resistant to school choice at all costs. And that's one because of the teachers unions. They're too afraid of the unions. And number two, uh, they like controlling the curriculum of what kids learn. And once you have school choice, they can't do that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that the communist plan, though, is like to brainwash the children, you know, and, and it starts from there when they're very young. Right. It is. You take the kids away from their parents and you yep. and the state has more control. Hey, it's I mean, like that. The Hillary Clinton that takes a village to raise a child. I mean, that's yeah. that's oh, the communist yeah. mantra right yeah. there. Yeah. Look at what they've done to the American family. I mean, we talked about Lyndon Johnson, the Great Society. They've taken fathers out of the home, right? Yep. Fathers and masculinity under attack. 
and they've got the the public schools um, going K through 12. But you know, they've for lower income people, they've got Head Start, they've got other you know governmental programs where they they get those kids early, and they're they're not only giving them school lunches. In some cases, they're giving them two or even three meals, all three meals a day, where the school is where the kid is all the time. But these are horrible schools, and it's heartbreaking. It's literally heartbreaking to see these children in a place where it is essentially a pipeline from those schools straight to prison or or even death. Uh, you know, Paul Runyon is you know his kids are going to be okay they're going to test out the public schools if they see the 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 woke stuff they're going to pull them out maybe they'll put them in a christian school maybe they'll homeschool them again a lot of these single mothers in the inner city they have no choice yeah and their governor is not going to give them a choice and and they're just stuck and their their children are basically doomed to effectively you know being illiterate having no skills to compete in the global economy and they're going to live a life of crime, you know, and that is not anything that that is really being imposed on them by the left, by the teachers unions and by the democratic party. It's, it's absolutely tragic and it's mind boggling to me that, um, you know, these particular ethnic groups vote in such overwhelming numbers for the democratic party. That's starting to change though. They're at, they're at the mercy of the government. They are. Yeah. Exactly. That's what the great society created. I mean, with Lyndon Johnson, you, you started this huge entitlement program. And now I think you've got about 70 million Americans that are completely at the, the mercy of the government receiving assistance. Yeah. And, you know, once that's created, you can do whatever you want with them. Yeah. And, you know, while we're on the topic of schools, the, the, the last tragedy of the shooting that, that happened. Um, what are your guys' thoughts about that? And I think it's a lot of red flags with that. A young guy, how did he afford that weapon? How did he have that, that uh, real expensive truck he was driving? Why was the door unlocked? Why were the police just standing down and doing nothing? Um, what do you guys think about that? I don't think, look, I, I, as I am not, I don't like to sort of peddle in some of the conspiracies. I mean, sometimes things look odd, but this was obviously a troubled kid. I think ever since Columbine uh, in the late nineties in your state in Colorado there, it has just started this copycat trend of these kids that are lonely. They're getting broken homes, broken broken homes. homes. They're getting radicalized on social media they're playing violent video games. They're being exposed to these, you know, awful TV shows and movies from Hollywood that glorify gun violence. And uh, once again, when you come from a broken home and you don't, you, you feel that your life is hopeless. And in many cases, you you lash out and do this as a way to get notoriety. And you know, when, when video games and, and things that glorify gun violence and sort of make death seem less serious than it is, all of a sudden, you know, you've got, you've got kids that are not completely, um, you know, that are, that are just not, not totally with it. And, and they do things like this. So I don't know if it was a conspiracy, but 
I think it was just an awful, an awful thing. And we've got to get a handle on, on kids that are being raised in, in good families and not being radicalized. Yeah, and I think they, they I th- politicalize it too, right, guys? I mean, yeah, well, we totally, really, we, you go right for the this is just another yeah. excuse to go for the guns. You know, it's, yeah. they're not looking at the bigger issues. And we just right. talked about on our recent episode They're they're not looking yeah. at, at the mental health. They're not looking at the other things. It's just, oh, let's use this as a way to to go yeah. after people's Second Amendment rights. On our last episode, which we called Disarming the Peasants, we talk about that. Um, and we talk about all the different factors. I, I think it's absurd. And we saw this, this with the horrible tragedy, tragedy at Sandy Hook Elementary that, you know, all of these bizarre conspiracy theories. Look, it, it happened. Um, no one in Uvalde was surprised that it happened. Apparently, this kid had been making crazy statements online for a very long time. Um, the tr- you know, those cowardly police officers that were outside. Uh, that's just cowardice. And, and frankly, you know, there's more and more of that. There's less um, John Wayne's in our society today than there were maybe 50 years ago. But at, you, you just touched on it, Kilroy. I mean, the, the tragedy is compounded when you have a government or a president, a president and Congress who politicize these poor children's deaths and we can look at a lot of things. You know, we just ran a poll on our on our Twitter feed at Midnight Ride Pod. Do you agree with limiting gun sales to adults 21 and over? And four in five people said no, we don't agree with that. I mean, you know, and that's not a surprise given our audience, which is very uh, constitutionalist folks. But we, you know, there are maybe some compromises that could be made um, with the understanding that a large number of Americans will never agree to being disarmed. There will never be a Tiananmen Square in the United States, okay? Because our founders believe that government, if it is let, left to its own devices, will eventually become tyrannical, right? Law-abiding citizens are not the people that you got to worry about. And what we didn't talk about, or we don't talk about enough, and, and Paul just touched on it, is these young men, the Ross Elementary shooter in Uvalde, the Buffalo shooter, the over the years, you know, the Parkland shooter, these are broken people. They, they, they're, they have no hope. I mean, this guy shot his grandmother in the face. Yeah. What kind of person does that? Yeah. I don't know that a law could have prevented it. Yeah. He, if he wasn't killing these kids at the elementary school, he might have gotten in his truck and done what the Waukesha murderer did, mm-hmm. right? I mean, anybody can go to their local hardware store or get a get a Ford F-150 pickup and kill a good number of people without a gun. We got to get to the we got to get down to what is wrong with young men in this country. And, and I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with them, but clearly there are a lot of young men that are lost. There's no fathers in the home. They don't have God. They, they don't have any, any hope for the future. And they're sitting there being raised by a device or a video game console. So yeah. the gun, grabbing the guns is going to solve exactly nothing. And it's going to make us less safe as a society. And it's going to make our society more prone to tyranny. And, and we, we will not accept that here. 
as a society, we've also demonized masculinity as a whole recently. You know, it's so much attention has been put on women and girls and having them do everything that men can do and uh, making them, you know, giving them, you know, the majority of lead roles in movies now. You watch Netflix, all the shows have female leads, all the big books, everything's female leads. You've got, I mean, wh whatever happened to like being tough, being manly, being macho, what's wrong with that? Why is that toxic? You know, right. why is that not good? Why is that not good for society? What do you and think? Look, You're asking us a lot of questions. I want to well, hear let me, But before, but, but let me just <laughs> say real quick. He, he you, you talked, that's a great point about masculinity. What about femininity? We've caricature, we've made it a caricature. You know, we've, we've said, well, women, you got to do all this stuff. And, uh, oh, by the way, you can be men. I mean, you have people like Martina Navratilova and, and the, uh, the author of the Harry Potter series saying, hey, this transgender stuff is not cool. But, you know, boys can compete in girls' sports. I mean, yeah, we've demonized masculinity, but we aren't we kind of destroying femininity too? Yeah, yeah, we sure are. And to answer your question, Paul, I, I, I think it all started with when they did the feminist stuff back in the 60s. And look what it's brought us to, you know. It's, it's, it's just broken up the homes, you know, taking away, like you guys were saying, taking away the role of man that God intended to. And it's not that we're saying that uh, – men are better than women, you know, but there's a reason why God has male and female, you know, I mean, uh, it's part of the family, you know, I mean, the, the female man can't exist without female. The, there's a role that God has for motherhood and the instincts and the family and that kind of thing. If you're a, if you're a, uh, a woman and you choose not to have children and you're living in New York or you're living in uh, LA or wherever it is, and you decide to go work at a consulting firm or a bank like Citigroup or whatever it is, you think that company cares about you? I mean, what, what really are you fulfilling in your life? You haven't had any children. You haven't started a family. You're doing nothing to advance the human race. And you're having, and, and you're working for a faceless corporation that doesn't value you at all. I mean, and not having any of the joy of, of raising children. And, you know, I know for a fact and people I've spoken to that completely regret having made those decisions and looking back. Maybe, on maybe that's life. a, maybe that's a, a void they're trying to fill. It is. You know? uh, it, it definitely is. It definitely is. And I, you know, I think any, everybody can make their own choice in how they want to live their life. And there's nothing wrong with doing that at all. But I think as a society, I don't know why raising a family is discouraged as somehow inferior. And it you know, shouldn't be because that's the most important job you can have. And, and as Paul just pointed out, and as he did in a recent episode of The Midnight Ride, we now have corporations who are volunteering their funds to pay for people to leave their state, wherever they are, if they're in a red state that will overturn abortion rights in the event of Roe being overturned by the Supreme Court, uh, Starbucks or Tesla or any of these other Fortune 500 companies will pay for you to go to a blue state to have an abortion. They'll even pay for you to go with your kids and have a, this is a horrible term, gender affirming surgery to permanently reverse or permanently change their gender. Um, the, the, them paying for you to go have an abortion, that's not because they care about you. 
they are going to save so much money in healthcare costs in having to not uh, pay a, a replacement for you while you're on maternity leave, et cetera. As, as Paul pointed out in one of our recent episodes, that's their fiduciary responsibility to the shareholder. They don't care about you. And, uh, you know, we have this problem in our society where right now our birth rate is essentially at, you know, we're, we're flatlining or even at a negative birth rate. People don't, they don't seem to want to have a family anymore because again, it's, it's how many, you know, it's, it's a narcissistic thing. It's how much, how many things can I accumulate? How many likes can I get? How many, you know, let me, let me work on my timeline and my story. It's all about me. Yeah. And uh, it, it has having, it will in a generation from now, um, it will have a devastating effect on our society. You need a fertility rate of one point, no, 2.1 to national fertility rate of 2.1 to, you know, have society to be able to replace people. So have more births than deaths. So that's what you need to, to have to keep that going. The U.S. is at about 1.6 right now, which is which is not enough. So the people within the U.S., there's our our if it was not for immigration, our population would would be shrinking. Now, it's not as severe as in places like China and South Korea and um, Western Europe, uh, which have even gone to more extremes than we have. But we've got to people have to have more kids or the country's going to implode. Yeah. Wow. It, it, it's just, again, like we said before, it's just so sad that it, it all involves with the innocent children, you know, and it, it just really is sad. Like change the topic a little bit, man. Um, what, what do you guys think about the Ukraine Russia thing? Um, you hear so many different opinions about it. Um, what, what are your all's uh, thoughts about that? We we've talked a lot about this Kilroy on our show and, you know, Unfortunately, I feel like here in the U.S., it's been sort of a divisive topic to a certain extent because a lot of the people on the right, understandably, do not trust the Biden administration. Uh, and again, we remember some of us remember how you know the oligarch-owned corporate media were telling us just a few years ago how corrupt Ukraine was, um, and you know. We remember the false narrative about Russia and, and President Trump. And so people were watching, you know, Tucker Carlson and others and saying, hey, you know, why are we supporting Ukraine? Um, we, of course, what Russia is trying to do in Ukraine is a very bad thing. And we, we don't want a world where Russia can just take what they want, where China will eventually go and take Taiwan and and maybe they take other things, right? I mean, if if we get to a world where countries go, where we get back to where major powers just start taking over other countries, that's going to be a very unsafe world, and it's going to lead to uh, pro probably Armageddon, right? Yeah. But this is also a thing too, where all of the things we just talked about, our government is writing these massive checks to the Ukrainians, and uh, it, it's hurting our own economy. I mean, the inflation just came out this this morning that we're taping this another, you know, eight point six percent or whatever the case may be. Uh, world food supplies are threatened. Um, it's we need peace and we need it now. We need a, a, yeah. a swift resolution in the Ukraine. I pray for those Ukrainian soldiers over there. There's Americans fighting over there in the Foreign Legion as well. Yep. Um, pray for these folks and hope that it ends soon. But 
the Ukrainians are not going to just sign away half their country. So this could go on for some some time. Paul has a lot of thoughts on this as well. Well, I I do. I mean, I feel like this is something that should have been de-escalated from the beginning. I feel like if we had a strong president that we could have deterred this without it happening in the first place. Somebody that could have, A, um, scared the Russians enough from a deterrent standpoint of the consequences are going to be so great if you do this that it's not going to be worth your time, number one. I think that's a that's a really important thing to say. Um, and uh, number two, somebody that's really good at cutting really good deals. I mean, I don't know personally, I don't know why Ukraine had to join NATO. It seemed like Russia had sort of a list of of things that they were asking for. Some sort of deal could be cut. Um, you know, I find it interesting that Putin didn't try anything while Trump was president um, and and did not. Uh, invade Ukraine at all when he could have. And I think that that was probably because Trump was number one, very unpredictable. And you didn't know what he was going to do. Strategic unpredictability in a way. Um, He had a really strong foreign policy team. Um, You saw how he had stood up to China. Um, He was really tough on Russia. And, you know, this may not have happened had he been reelected president. And I think that, I think that if you're, Vladimir Putin, you see uh, a president like Joe Biden that's very weak and that is unable to make a strong decision on anything. And at the end of the day, I think he knew he would he could just go in and do what he wanted. Now, after he went in, I don't think he anticipated this strong response. And I have to give the Biden administration some credit for uh, helping to support the Ukrainians so that they didn't just roll over. And then we have Russian troops um, on the border with NATO, which which would have been a huge problem. But uh, now I think it's gone too far. And I think if we're the United States, we need to find, we need to negotiate some sort of uh, peace deal because it's not only impacting the Ukrainian people, but I think it's also hurting us. I mean, I don't know if you've seen the news, but we've been sending so many javelins and stinger missiles and everything else that our own stockpiles are running low on these things for our own protection. And Raytheon, who makes the javelins, has said it's going to be two to three years before they can really ramp up production because of the supply chain issues. So it's not like we have these endless supplies of weapons ourselves. So we yeah. need, that's the problem we've got to deal with. Some great points there. I mean, remember, he invaded Ukraine in 2014 when Obama mm-hmm. was president. Then mm-hmm. under Trump. Another weak st- president. Yeah. And then under Trump, he stopped. So, uh, and also I do believe that Putin saw the absolute failure of our Afghanistan withdrawal. And he said, now is the time to do this. Um, That said, the Biden administration did an incredible job. The NATO leaders did not like Donald Trump. Okay. They did not like Donald Trump because Donald Trump said, hey, guys, pay up your share of defense. I mean, the the NATO treaty says you got to meet these benchmarks, they weren't doing it. The irony is now they are doing it out because they're, they see what Vladimir Putin is capable of and they go, oh my God. Now they're never going to say that, you know, Donald Trump was right, Yeah. but they are now paying a lot more in defense and they are supporting the Ukrainians. And, you know, Joe Biden and his administration have done a great job of keeping NATO unified, but that won't last forever. I mean, the, the alliance is, is not going to, as this energy crisis um, 
this is the thing that we've really talked about on our show is America's energy policies have made us weaker. They have helped fund the, the war in Ukraine on the Russian side. And, um, you know, they helped invite this war. So th- there's a lot, there's a very complicated situation, but on the whole, America needs to support Ukraine. NATO needs to support Ukraine, but we need this thing to end like yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you guys think that it's true? You hear the stories that he, uh, Putin found biological weapons and he found rescued children from uh, the trafficking. Do you, do you, do you find that to be true or no? No. Yeah. I don't know enough about it, but until I see actual proof of it, I would tend to not necessarily think that it's true. This is Russia we're dealing with. Okay. I mean, these are the the masters of misinformation and propaganda. Um, They lie to the world. They lie to their own people. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, was there some sort of lab in Ukraine? I I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, the, the, The United States, um, Yes, we've we had chemical weapons um, in our in our armed forces. Um, I think we were getting rid of those. But no, I don't think we would if we were going to have some kind of bioweapons lab somewhere, it would probably be like in the hills of Kentucky or somewhere in the U.S. Why would we put it in a vulnerable place like that? Vladimir Putin says a lot of things and most of them are untrue. Remember, this guy is a spy. They have a propaganda ministry that is quite powerful, like China. Um, they have been using that propaganda arm in on social media and, and in their media engines to influence elections in the United States, France, the United Kingdom, Brexit, uh, elections all over Europe. I mean, this is what these guys do. They are masters of disinformation. They Vladimir Putin wanted... Ukraine. He wanted to restore Russia to some former glory. Um, you know, I, I'm not a Paul is more well versed on his history than I am. But, you know, the Ukraine was part of the Soviet Union, but it may have been part of Russia and under some of the, you know, past czar in the in the 17th century. I don't know. Putin is dying. He's got health problems. He, he wants to have this happen under his watch. And he will say anything and do anything to make that happen. But he didn't count on the heroism of the Ukrainian people. And um, this is going very, very badly for Russia. Mm-hmm. Paul, what are your thoughts, man? Well, I think, you know, there's a number of things going on. U- Ukraine for hundreds of years was really had been an independent country. I mean, it was really taken over in the Soviet Union. You know, there was a there was a war in Ukraine, I believe, uh, late 1800s, early 1900s. Um, in 1917, it was really annexed um, and taken over and become part of the Soviet Union. So it's not like Ukraine has been part of Russia forever. I mean, there's those eastern territories that have some ethnic Russians in them, but that's about it. But as we know, Ukraine's the breadbasket of the world. It's got some of the one of the top wheat producers on earth um great producers of many different kinds of food and commodities so i mean of a country for a country like russia that's getting increasingly sealed off from the rest of the international community ukraine provides a a viable and important lifeline to them so i can see why they see that as important 
Um, but the propaganda is just crazy. I mean, the fact that he's set calling Ukraine, you know, he, he needs to denazify Ukraine. I mean, that alone shows you the depths to which Putin will go on his propaganda. But the problem is now is that the goal is to avoid World War III. And we just have to keep this regionally contained and get to, to peace as soon as possible. Oh, no doubt about it. Um, what, what do you guys think? Uh, is, do you think it's true that uh, Biden and a lot of other people in the government had like money laundering there in Ukraine? Or you think that's a conspiracy thing? I, well, I would say that I don't I mean, I, I wouldn't necessarily I don't know enough to say definitively. But I mean, just the fact that Hunter Biden was on the board of of Burisma and that he was getting payments and potentially not even registering as a foreign agent and not paying taxes on it. I mean, that raises enough red flags to show that there's definitely some corruption going on among some senior people. I don't know who, although Hunter Biden obviously looks to be at the top right there. And who knows who the big guy is in that email getting 10%, right? But we'll never yeah. know, right, Roy? But, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, look, I, I, I would not... That's one that that definitely needs uh, some additional investigation because I wouldn't rule that corruption out at all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, here's my thoughts on it. We, we talked about the election being stolen and big tech and the role that Twitter had in and Facebook had in suppressing that story by the New York Post, which Paul and I call the paper of record for the United States. The oldest paper in America breaks a story that says that, uh, you know, Hunter biden was basically peddling access to his father we saw you know vice president biden bragging about how he wanted a certain prosecutor in ukraine fired yeah. and if the, if he sure. didn't get fired funds would be withheld now maybe that prosecutor was corrupt but a, a complete idiot like hunter biden our president calls well, that's the, the same prosecutor that's going after the the firm that that Hunter Biden was on the board of. That's right. So, that, that's yeah, right. So, I mean, it's not, I mean, you look at that, that alone, that alone. Flags. Yes. And how does a, how does a complete crackhead idiot like Hunter Biden, who has no background in energy or oil or natural gas, get on a board like that and get paid a salary like that. So we know there has been corruption involving president Biden before in the Ukraine, right? We also know that our Congress, you know, listen, there's no time to waste in, in getting the aid to the Ukrainians. And so, you know, we got to get them this stuff like yesterday or they're going to get overrun. Right. So there's that sort of sentiment. But we know that our Congress has sent essentially 54 billion American dollars uh, over there in the some of it is in the form of weapons, but there's a lot of money as well. And so we had Senator Rand Paul, who I consider a true patriot at, from Kentucky, a great American, who yeah. tried to basically put a, uh, you know, an all stop on this and said, hey, guys, um, I'm not going to I want to hold this up. We need we need some oversight on this money. You know, I think the American people, when they can't put gas in their tanks, they can't find baby formula, they can't feed their family. And they see fifty-four billion going out the door. There should be, you know, oversight on this money. They should at least be able to say that this is not going into some, 
you know, crony, you know, political cronies' pockets. This should be going to kill Russians. And and we have a history of doing this throughout. I mean, for the last fifty plus years of sending money overseas and literally having no idea where it goes. I mean, if you saw the Inspector General for what happened in Afghanistan, I mean, the I mean, we spent probably two trillion dollars plus in Afghanistan. And we literally had nothing to show for it. I mean, the it's gone ex- completely back to the way it was before we were even there. Um, a lot of that money of, went. We to- did get rid of the, the 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 terrorists. We killed Bin Laden. That was great, but we didn't need to do what we did in Afghanistan to do that. Especially when we when we uh, got Bin Laden in Pakistan to start with. But so much of that money just went to all these government contractors. Uh, U.S. government contractors, and also to corrupt Afghan warlords. And we have no idea how this is being spent in Ukraine. There's been no special inspector general for Ukraine uh, appointed to get to the bottom of this. And I think when the uh, Republicans take over Congress, uh, hopefully in 2022, we need to have some sort of investigation to where all this money went, because it, during a time when the American people are hurting, wasting all this money and giving it to corrupt Ukrainians is not a good idea. So uh, I'm sure a lot of it, sending the weapon systems, that's all good. We, we're providing them with some support. But for $50 billion, I have a feeling that it's not all going where we think it's going to go. So a lo- that's a long answer to your question. Yes. But let me add on top of that, Kilroy. The $1.9 trillion American rescue plan, the bipartisan infrastructure bill, um, there was money laundering in both of those in the sense that, <laughs> yep. you know, the if you and, and Paul often if you if you listen to the Midnight Ride, Paul will often crack open these bills and read where some of this money goes. And a lot of this money finds its way to teachers unions and other government unions projects it finds its way to non-governmental organizations and basically political con- you know contributors to the biden regime this is not uh just what the democrats do the republicans do it as well but since joe biden has been president and since the democrats have controlled the house of representatives and essentially the senate there has been a lot of grift there has been a lot of steering taxpayer dollars to con- political cronies and and it has contributed to inflation and it hasn't really helped the american people we need more yeah. transparency on this i mean if we we see how you know you look at like the the congressional budget office that comes out with these projections of what these bills are going to do to uh to the deficit or to revenue etc and that that's great most of the time their projections are off but that's for another time. But we I mean, there's got to be more transparency on these earmarks. And, you know, it's these FOIA requests that take forever. Uh, the names of these groups that are shrouded in mystery. Uh, you know, there's got to be some sort of congressional mechanism that's required to disclose the earmarks and where this money is going in an easy way for the American people to digest. Cause are- if you, if you have these like 2000 page bills that come out, no one reads them and then they pass it the next day. No one knows where the money's going. It just, 
you know, it becomes so easy. I mean, if you look at Mitch McConnell's stuff so much into a bill for Kentucky, it's crazy. I mean, and no one even, no one even talks about it. And the turtle. Yeah, the turtle. <laughs> and they, they, they've, I mean, we've, they, they've got to come out with a, there's got to be some sort of big transparent way for people to see this so that senators and congressmen don't have the incentive <laughs> to keep doing this. You know, Paul and I are, are a little bit uh, bigger fans of Mitch McConnell than a lot of maybe some of your listeners or even our listeners. Um, but that's that's politics today. You know, that's the way it works. Unfortunately, you know, anytime somebody like Herman Cain or Steve Forbes proposes simplifying things, let's let's have the tax code where you can just fill it out on a postcard and send it in, or let's, let's simplify this thing. I mean, what Paul just talked about a bill that, I mean, remember the uh, affordable care act, which, you know, was an abomination. Um, I think, you know, Nancy Pelosi said something like, well, we can, we can read it after we pass it. I mean, what is that? We got to maybe attack things. Let's, let's attack problems in a way where, we prioritize things and we say, okay, we need roads and bridges. Let's write a law that addresses roads. Let's write a law that addresses bridges. Instead of writing a, a, a 2,000 page monstrosity where no one has the time to read, then you go back in and you find out that, you know, some of the money went to, you know, transgender owned businesses that provide, uh, you know, some sort of internet service or whatever it's there's so much pork laden into these things because the it's out of control the, the government is too big and lobbyists have too much influence they're writing the bills um but there's definitely money laundering uh going on yeah i mean not whether it's not technically money laundering because that's sort of like washing money and not paying taxes on it but it's definitely sketchy and i mean I do want to talk about Mitch McConnell for a second. He's a very astute politician. And uh, I've got a dog barking in the background. Uh, I, I had mine barking too. That's why oh, I was you, yelling at. <laughs> they're talking to each other. Yeah, that's, yeah. It, that's right. <laughs> he's, a very, he's a very astute politician. I, I personally believe that Mitch McConnell was, was able to um, kill Build Back Better because of the deals that he cut on the infrastructure bill. And I think that the infrastructure bill that was passed has so much stuff in there with the, uh, you know, tree equity and all these like random things that have nothing to do with infrastructure that at the end of the day, I think it's helped the Republicans look pretty good. And I think he cut a deal, you know, with with a lot of the uh, with a lot of the including with Joe Manchin and other folks that, hey, you know, we'll get this infrastructure bill through. But but you got to promise us that Build Back Better is dead. And, you know, for all the stuff that we harp on on uh, the turtle, you know, because he is he is an establishment guy, but but he's very astute politically in how to manage that. I, I think a lot of, you know, when I listen to and I go, I go on Twitter and I see a lot of our viewers or listeners, you know, and saying things like, oh, he's a rhino and this. And that, I just sort of cringe because, um, yeah, he is an establishment politician, but you know, he understands how to play the game. The Republicans don't have a lot of power right now. Remember, you know, they control the White House, the House, and with 
Vice President Harris there, they they can get anything through um, with with 51 votes, right? right? But McConnell understands how to play the game. He's playing three-dimensional chess, and he has outsmarted the Democrats at every turn. I also believe that we have Mitch McConnell to thank for, you know, Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Comey Barrett, all, you know, having now this conservative and frankly, you know, religious, um, respectful of, you know, religion and um, First Amendment, all of these, you know, the Second Amendment. We have the Supreme Court that we do right now because of Mitch McConnell. So if you want to call him a rhino or, or whatever you want, um, that's fine. But I think it's uh, a little ignorant to the realities of politics in Washington. And, and Mitch McConnell, I think, on the whole, has been a very good thing for conservatives and for America. Give credit where credit's due, man. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, what are you guys' uh, uh, thoughts about um, – we'll change the subject here a little bit um, – about uh, with the Supreme Court, them uh, trying to maybe pack it? What do, you, what do you think about that? Do you think that's going to happen, or do you – I mean, these guys seem they'll, they'll try anything to get their way. Am I not right? Anything. Uh, the other- anything. And I don't think they – I mean, the packing the court, I don't know if – I don't think that's really going to happen. But they tried um, this before, right? Like, yeah, 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 they've they've tried it. But they I mean, they're using this to rile up the base, especially to show, hey, we we will go and do anything to make sure that our agenda is there. And if 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 the Supreme Court stands in the way, we'll enlarge it. If the Senate stands in the way, we'll get rid of the filibuster. If the Constitution stands in the way, well, we'll just get rid of it. I mean, that's that's the way they think. And, uh, you know, you can't just pack the court, you know, randomly and do it. I mean, that's you know, you've got to have the votes to do it. And that's, you know, some people in the the Senate and the House might want to pack it. But I don't I don't see it happening. But I think it should be a warning to Americans to show how scary some of these people really are. Oh, very scary. the, The left the left is. This is bad. It was mentioned they tried to pack the court under FDR and and, and uh, that didn't work. But, you know, these folks, um, I think it was under Harry Reid of Nevada when he was the Senate majority. Um, they took the nuclear option and changed the parliamentary procedures in the Senate to, you know, override uh, a requirement for two thirds to change the, the roles, uh, the rules and. And at the time that that happened, Mitch McConnell said, I, I, I highly recommend you don't do this because you won't like what happens when, when you do. They changed the rules to get something through. And then all of a sudden, Donald Trump one day was elected president and they could no longer stop jud- judiciary nominees with uh, that 60 vote thing. They were able to get through uh, Neil Gorsuch and Kavanaugh and Comey Barrett. And now they're tra- trying to talk about, you know, getting rid of the filibuster and packing the court. Now, re- as Republicans, we should never advocate for these things either, because you can see what happens when you have a horrible, tyrannical leader. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and they, I'm surprised they didn't learn their lesson. What happens if, you know, Donald Trump gets elected again? Um, you know, he could try to pack the court because I, I don't know how much respect 
he has for our institutions. But, you know, as we often talk about on the Midnight Ride, the founders of our country and the framers of the Constitution, that document is so perfect. And, you know, we have these checks and balances for a reason. The left wants to tear them down so that they can continue to kill babies or, or whatever the case may be. Um, if that ever happens, if they pack the court, if they eliminate the filibuster, our country, as we know it, our republic could be over. Yeah. And, and we yeah. could have a civil war. I don't think I'm over. Paul, am I overstating this? Um, I think that I, I don't know about a civil war, but I think that and I don't think that some of those things are going to happen. But, yeah, I mean. You know, we have a very armed population. I think it doesn't you, you don't need like 100 percent of the population to be involved in a in a war to make it happen. I think the Revolutionary War only involved about 30 percent of the uh, American population. So, I mean, it is possible. But if if both sides would just have respect for our institutions and I'm talking about both the Democrats they don't. And, they don't. People, <laughs> and people in the GOP. And I, I have I include Donald Trump in that. Mm -hmm. you know, that, uh, you know, it's just going to lead us down that path. But the, so last we week got to be the Constitution is the document that we all have to um, take seriously and and pay attention to. If we just follow the what's what the Constitution has written, the country is going to be fine. Last week, there was in the gun gun control debates in the in in the, the House of Legis House of uh, Representatives was debating these bills. And some congressman on the on the left said, oh, give me a break about that Constitution. The fact is, is that, you know, it's not just the squad. There are a lot of people on the left, on the, in the Democratic Party, that would like to get rid of the Constitution. They see it as an antiquated document that no longer applies. We talked about H.R. 1. They want to federalize elections. Another thing that they have said they want to do is eliminate the Electoral College. I, I'm not trying to be, you know... Uh, a doomsdayer or, or, you know, be overly dramatic. But if they packed the court and if they eliminated the filibuster, they would get rid of the electoral college. And then you would have the coastal elites and, and you know, California, New York, yep. um, you know, those people, they would they would make all the rules and people in places like Idaho and Alabama and all these other places would have no power. Um I don't think people would stand for that. And I think just to close, because, you know, Paul and I both got to get off to our football games and, and, and kids soccer games. We, we need to get to a point where two things, one Americans respect the constitution and our institutions. And we stop looking at each other as the enemy. You know, the great thing about America is no matter where you're from, what you look like, we are all Americans. You can't go, to another country and become Chinese or French, but people can come here, become Americans. If we all respect each other's freedoms and respect each other as humans and live by the golden rule, right? I think we'll be okay. Absolutely. Any final thoughts, uh, you guys, Paul, before we let you go. And I just want to say thank you so much for coming on today, guys. And appreciate it very much. Kilroy, I just want to thank you. I mean, you, your show is fantastic. I think that you uh, bring a fresh perspective on this country and and uh, how religion is so important to the backbone of the United States, whether, you know, whatever, whatever religion it is, you believe. And that's what 
what freedom of religion is is all about in this country, but Judeo-Christian values in particular. And, uh, you know, I'm just looking forward to the midterms in 2022 and, and seeing where that goes. And maybe maybe we can all get together and have a postmortem discussion on uh, the day Absolutely. after. Absolutely. I, I will I will close by saying the Declaration of Independence, the first two sentences contain the word God and and also our creator, right? That, that we were endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights. And um, people have forgotten that. Kilroy, you know, your podcast and, and others that talk about um, Jesus Christ and, and you know, God and, and, and how important religion is. Um, yeah, you know, our numbers have dwindled over the generations, um, but we should teach our children these values. We, our country needs God back. Um, and, you know, God is always with us. And, uh, you know, we, we absolutely need to continue this fight. I want to thank you for having us on our show. If anybody liked what they heard from, from the three of us, um, the Midnight Ride is on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, everywhere you can listen, listen to us. And also we, we are available on Twitter at Midnight Ride Pod. Kilroy, thank you very much. Sorry about thank our dogs. You. Sorry about our kids' <laughs> sports teams. Um, but we, we really – I know we talked your, your, your ear off, but we thank you so much for having us on the show. Uh, God bless you guys. And we'll stay in touch. Maybe we'll do this again. Thank you. All right, man.